I keep uh, reminding myself to mute myself before I say good morning because the online audience would not hear any of that. Uh, but welcome, uh, especially for those that have braved your way through the roads. Uh, for some of you in, uh, in four-wheel drive are like, I didn't brave anything, I drive a Jeep. And for the rest of us, like I think of the guy last night, we were, uh, my wife and I were speaking over the weekend, Friday and Saturday, over on the east side doing a marriage retreat for a church. And so it was sun shining when we left Detroit, and we got to about exit 36, saw some flurries, sorry, exit 136, saw some flurries. 30 miles later, we were white-knuckling it through uh, the blizzard, and the poor sedan in front of us, he was going old school, like he's got his arm out the window while he's driving, trying to scrape his windows. So, bro, if you're watching, I'm so proud of you that you got home. Uh, we were, like, just praying over him, and once he got off on the on the on his exit, we were just so excited for him. I've never been so excited for a, another driver in my entire life. Craziness, craziness. Uh, today, uh, we're going to shift a, a few things today. Last night, I had to make the call that uh, we are going to delay our foster care adoption Focus Sunday till a Sunday in December. Um, our, our friends from Bethany Christian Services, they were supposed to come from St. Joe today, and we just said, stay home. Uh, we've got other people that were supposed to speak and be a part of today um, that were having to make some, some drives, and so I just had to make the call. We're going to delay that, which meant that I had to kind of rewrite some things in, into a message that was talking about maturity, but also really centering on foster care and adoption. I believe God's got a word for us today as we are going to continue into our series. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. I'm going to read out of my scripture journal. Hopefully you've bought a scripture journal, the three bucks, a great way to do your devotions. Um, in fact, uh, somebody had brought up scripture journals at a retreat last week, and so the pastor that was hosting us, he's like, Dave, I know you have to have one in your backpack. I'm like, well, as a matter of fact. So he pulled it out, and I was embarrassed to show the chicken scratch writing to individuals. I, anybody insecure about their writing? and what their handwriting looks like. Um, if my mom's watching, she would, say, she would say to me, you shouldn't be insecure because I've told you to practice it and write slower. But this is just the way that we write. Uh, Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh that I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I am a minister according to the stewardship from God. That's a key word right there. The word stewardship is a key word. Um, everything, I've said this for years, everything that we have in our possession, we are not owners of. We do not own our finances. We do not own our cars. We do not own our houses. We do not own our spouses. We do not own our children. They are gifts of God, and we are called to be stewards. And that word stewardship literally means in the Greek language the management of a household or household affairs. In other words, as servants of God, we navigate everything that we have not in a way that says, this is mine, I do with it how I please. I navigate life, and I do things according to that which pleases the one that owns everything. Thank you for the amen over here. That's awesome. So according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In him we proclaim, warning everything, excuse me, everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. 
There are some great, great nuggets in here, things that we could spend time on. We could spend time on, like I put in brackets the word, among the Gentiles, because they knew that, you know, the that Jesus was revealed to the Gentiles, but the idea that the mystery of God, that God did more than just reveal himself um, to the Gentiles as God, but he was making himself known, to be known, to be experienced by Gentiles, which if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So congrats, that means you. And so the riches of the glory are there, and it's Christ in you, for it's in him we proclaim. To do what? That we may present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the day, the opportunity, the sunshine that we get this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have continued to watch over your people, protecting others, God, that you are just working in the midst of our lives. I'm thankful that your presence is not dictated by brick and mortar, that you're everywhere. For those that are watching at home that couldn't make the drive, for those that are snowed in, Lord, I ask that you would just let your presence be just so thick in those bedrooms, kitchens, living rooms, wherever people are watching today, Lord, just reveal yourself and help us to grow in you. For those that are here today, I just pray blessing and protection upon them and ask that you would help us to walk away from this place differently than the way that we walked in. We want to be changed. We want to grow. We want to become mature in you. We speak that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, and bless the lions for three in a row. Jesus takes down giants. He took down Goliath. He could take down a New York Giants. I love what uh, Colossians 1 uh, says in the message paraphrase. It says, we teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. So let me ask you a question. How mature are you? <laughs> I don't know why people giggle at that. How mature are you? Have you ever had a moment, and maybe it's just me, uh, a moment where something comes out of your mouth, you, all of a sudden there are kids around, and you go into a mode, maybe it's the grandkids or your friend's kids or your own kids, and you go into a mode or things come out of your mouth for which you ask yourself or maybe your wife asks you, when are you going to get it all together? Have you ever been in the place where you... Think that you have certain levels of maturity until a moment happens and you step back and you ask yourself, how old are you? Have you not grown out of that? Maybe it's just me that my wife of 24 years has said that to me over and over for the past 20, well, 28 years together. Um, but things just happen. Things just come out. How old are you? I was looking back in my Facebook memories and I found out that today, it was today, I think five years ago, I think it's 2017, five years ago today, we were flying home from Israel, and it made me think of um, a couple mischievous attenders of K-First that while I was taking care of some business outside the hotel, taking care of some very important things, that they convinced hotel leadership to give them a, a key to my room. Now, how safe do you actually feel? You're in another country, and hey, can I have a key to my pastor's room? Oh, sure, here you go. This freely gave it out. And so by the time I get back to my room, my room is wall-to-wall -to -wall toilet paper. Every doorknob inside and out is covered in thick layers of Vaseline. Toilet bowl is saran-wrapped. Anything, this, I'm like, how old are you people? And the worst of the worst was when I got it all cleaned up, and it's been a long day, and so I'm just, I'm just going to go take a shower. Now listen, 
in Michigan, if I see a spider, I don't get scared of spiders. I just don't. Most of the time. I don't get scared. Because I know the spiders in Michigan. Nothing's going to take me down. But when you're traveling, spiders are a different story. And so I pull the, the curtain back in the shower, and what they put in the shower was, it wasn't so large that it was obscene, but large enough to think to myself, I'm going to die in this moment. And, and so luckily, I had just gone to the bathroom, so everything else was safe. But I mean, right there, I jump, I leap, I may have screamed like I was at a Taylor Swift concert, not me, but other people. Um, but I'm not going to go off on that tangent. But I just, I pick it up. I end up saving it. I'm like, I'm going to get her back. I'm going to get her back. It's been five years, and I've yet to get her back, but, but someday. But I remember getting to, getting to breakfast the next morning, and they're just smiling. And, they're, and I'm trying to ignore and act like nothing has ever happened. But when you have constantly grabbed Vaseline over and over and over, and, yeah, your life is just in frazzles. And even, like, during the evening, so when— like when I went to bed, they went and re-Vaseline the outside of my knob of my hotel so that right, right when I'm going to pull my hotel closed, my door closed, my hand is all jammed up, and then i got to get the key out and somehow get—oh, my Lord and Savior. That was literally, literally their favorite moment of Israel. Not the tomb, not, the, the, not Gethsemane, not— the Sea of Galilee, it's them pranking Pastor Dave. How old are you? So the question is, how mature are you? And if you say you're mature, the question is this. How do you measure that maturity? Do you measure your maturity next to a certain person, to an individual, to a parent? Uh, because I've, I, man, there's times that I've dealt with people as a youth pastor. I'm like, listen, guys, can you act more mature? And their immediate response is, well, we're more mature than these people, so therefore we're okay. And so we go through this idea of maturity based upon a measurement of somebody else and, and making sure that we're obviously setting ourselves up for something better than what we think we are. I think one of the greatest travesties of our country and our culture is the tragedy of immaturity. I think it's one of the greatest maladies of this world is the idea of immaturity and how physically, emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually immature we entertain and we allow within our hearts and within our lives. The New York, New York Post wrote a, an article that I was thumbing through called The Death of Adulthood in American Culture. And it's the idea that the marks of adulthood are being pushed further and further and further. Because um, if you were to put the ages of adolescence, what ages would you give? In my brain, 12 to 16, 12 to 18. Uh, I might, some say, well, 10 to 18, 10 to 16. But most psychologists used to set the markers of maturity from 10 to 19. And today's psychologists, if you look up the age of adolescence right now, if you Googled it, it'll say most psychologists will actually they have pushed adolescence from age 10 all the way to age 24. And they call it extended adolescence because they, this is what they'll say. 24-year-olds, they're still working it out. Young adults are working it out from the ages of 18 through 24. They're working through maturity. Now how, when I think about maturity, I think about things like, I read a stat the other day that young adult literature is so extremely popular. In fact, did you know that almost 50% of young adult literature that's out there is actually bought and read by people in their 30s and their 40s? A serious gamer nowadays is no longer a kid with an Xbox, but a serious gamer 
is about the age, the average age of a serious gamer is the age 35. And I'm not anti-video games. I love video games. Do not write me and say, why are you preaching against video games? I don't preach against video games unless they're bad video games. I love video games. I play video games. My son is a gamer. He loves video games. But a serious gamer nowadays typically spends 10,000 hours of games before the age of 21. There's something called de developmental theory, and developmental theory says that if you spend 10,000 hours on any one thing, you are automatically an expert. Our culture, I think, has gone into places of immaturity. We entertain immaturity. And in fact, we have, this, this, we have products that we, that we get sold to us, products that are in our face and magazines are on TV. We see billboards of products that are trying to get us to retrieve the, the look of our youth, the way that we, that we had looked, uh, the way that we felt back in some day. And it wants us to constantly chase what that magical moment, that magical period of adolescence looked like. I will be honest, people have asked me all the time, would you go back to being a middle schooler? Not one, not one time have I ever thought I want to be that age ever again. Who wants to deal with puberty ever again? Please, no hands. That's weird. As a teenager, would, would you want to go through teen years knowing what you know? To be quite honest, I don't think I'd ever want to be a teenager again. I don't really miss my 20s. I love my 40s. I'm getting closer to 50. I'm, I'm loving them. But we have a culture that constantly wants to recapture who we had been. There's, a, there's an amazing book, a challenging book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it says this, one of the great changes of our universities is to stop challenging our students and start protecting them from anything that harms them. And it's leaving us in immaturity. And it gives three great what's called untruths. There's the untruth of fragility, which means what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. We have the untruth of emotional reasoning, which means always trust your feelings. We have the untruth of us versus them. In other words, life is a battle between good people and evil people. And by the way, you have to look at yourself. You're the good person, and anybody that's against you or anybody that disagrees with you, they are the bad people that you have to fight. And so we get trained and conditioned in this. And what it ends up doing is it underdevelops our mentality and our maturity and puts us in a place where it stunts our emotional, physical, uh, mental, and yes, even our spiritual growth. In fact, it gives us eight diag diagnoses of immaturity in our adolescence. I want, you to, I want you to see these things. I think we might have them on the screen. Here's some markers of, of emotional immaturity or adolescence immaturity. We have emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning, that means letting your feelings guide your interpretation of reality. For example, I feel depressed, that means my marriage is bad. My feeling of what's going on dictates what reality is. Or catastrophizing, which means you focus on the worst possible outcome and seeing it as what is most likely going to be happening. For example, boy, I bet you I will fail at this, therefore I am a failure. There's overgeneralizing, perceiving a global pattern of negative by, uh, basis uh, based on a single incident where I look at one failure and so therefore I see everything I do as failing. Dichotomous thinking, also known as all or nothing thinking, viewing events or people as all or nothing in terms of if I got rejected by one, I'm rejected by everybody. That if I don't see value in the moment, then it's always a waste of time. 
There's labeling, assigning global negative traits to yourself or to others, where I see myself as, as undesirable, therefore all people are going to be undesirable or see me that way. There's mind reading, assuming that people that you know what people think without having sufficient evidence about that. I bet you that person thinks I'm a loser. Then lastly, negative filtering. Sorry, seventh, negative filtering. Focusing on almost exclusively on the negatives and seldom, seldom noticing the positives. Uh, man, I'm looking around and all I see are people that don't like me. Number eight, discounting positives. Claiming that the positive things that you or others experience are trivial so that you can maintain negative judgment. Well, that's what my spouse is going to do. She's just not going to count on me. He's not going to count on me. Well, it's never going to get any better than this. I mean, if we look at these eight things, these eight things help aid into this immature adolescence of our culture. And it changes the way that we look into reality. And as I look at these eight, the reality is I can begin to pinpoint people in my life that I've seen these things, but more, I think more specifically, I begin to look at my life and begin to ask my life, am I holding back my own spiritual maturity, the thing that Paul is trying to write to the church in Colossia about. He wants them to get mature. And, but I begin to look at this list, and I'm like, you know what? I think there are some things I fall into in that list that are holding back my maturity. Why do we talk about this so much in the church? Because as much as I get frustrated at the lack of maturity I see in this world, I think the greater travesty is the amount of immaturity I see in the church. We in the church many times get held back, not because of a pastor. I'm not trying to cut myself loose on, but many people, we, we hold a church leader as responsible for our spiritual growth, for our spiritual maturity. And if they don't preach what we want them to preach or teach what we want them to teach, then we go and we find somebody else to help us to get mature. Rather than looking at the responsibility saying, I have a faith in Jesus. It grows in community, but I have to own my faith and to grow it in the direction that it needs to go. We chase after who to blame for our lack of maturity. And if the pastor is a good preacher, then I'm mature because he's preaching good stuff as opposed to looking at Monday through Saturday and how am I feeding myself? How am I growing myself? What am I doing with spiritual disciplines? And let me say this. If you don't have spiritual disciplines in your life, your spiritual disciplines will be the ceiling of your spiritual growth. Maturity. It's a hard, hard conversation to have because it hits us between the eyes and challenges us on what we're doing with our relationship with Christ. It challenges us on how we're living our everyday lives. But the problem is some people see the word maturity and they see the word perfection. Well, I'm not mature until I reach perfection or I don't even try because I will never be perfect. I think maturity, maturity is like health. You don't fully reach it. It's a mode that you are in. And if you think you've reached maturity, let me tell you, you're probably, that's probably one of the more immature things that you can say. In fact, I love this. It's the Hebrew concept of maturity literally means living for a designated purpose. I want to read, you, read to you verse 28 again. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Do you notice the words that Paul uses over and over? He uses the word everyone three times and uses the word all. Paul is very intense. He says, in him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How does he want them to grow? He wants them to grow in maturity, meaning 
He wants everyone living for a designated purpose. I wrote it this way. When you're living for the reason God made you, that's when you're living into spiritual maturity. When you're living according to what God has created you to do. What has God created me to do? Listen, I talked about this a few weeks ago. God has made you to worship. God, you were made for him and by him. You were created to give him worship. You're created to proclaim the name of the, of, of, of the, na- the name of, that is above all other names. You're created to give God glory. You're created to live a life that exudes the presence of God. You are sent on mission by Jesus to go and to make disciples of everywhere that you would go. That you would be a city set on a hill, a light that shines to everybody that's in darkness. You've got purpose. And the way to live into a maturity, a mature life as a believer is to live into that purpose. That's maturity. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, the most important thing about you are not the things that you achieve, but the person that you become. I have met people that love to tell me their spiritual church resume. Let me tell you all the things I've done at K-First. I've been here for 150 years. Here's all the things that I've ever done. I've, let me, Pastor, let me tell all the things I've done into this area. Somebody made an appointment with me just to tell me all the things they've accomplished in the area. I said, why did you come? I just thought that you ought to know these things. I'm like, well, let's have a different conversation. Let's talk about the heart. Let's talk about what was driving this. See, maturity is not measured by practice, but by how transformed you are into the person of Jesus Christ. Man, we chase after moments. We chase after opportunities. If I could just be the singer on the platform, if I could just be that musician, and by the way, we would love for you to, for you to volunteer for the worship team, but that's not the pinnacle. The pinnacle is not to be the preacher in the pulpit and to stand up and to preach. The pinnacle is not to be a board member. The pinnacle is not to have a certain title. The pinnacle is not something that we can achieve in terms of making a name for ourselves, but the pinnacle of life, the maturity of life, is that we would be transformed into the person of Jesus Christ. And spiritual maturity, how I see it is this. It's how much you think like Jesus, love like Jesus, act like Jesus, and respond like Jesus in whatever circumstance he puts you in. That is what I'm after. This is what Paul is saying. Listen, Colossian church, I want you to live into this. Don't be passive with this. Jesus isn't some glade plug and you just stick him in and you just catch a little bit of him. And then you, you walk away and oh, you just, you smell like Jesus. I don't even know what that means right there. You must have come from church. You seem so nice. But what does Jesus look like on Mondays at your workplace? What does Jesus look like Monday at school? What does Jesus look like in in the marketplace? What does Jesus look like when you're stuck in traffic? What does Jesus look like when you, you and your spouse are in a disagreement? What does Jesus look like when you are practicing your parenting? What does Jesus look like? That is spiritual maturity. Well, pastor, well, what's my benefit? Listen, if you're asking that, that's immature. Because spiritual maturity is not what you get out of it. It's what you create to give others who need it. See, so many of us, we think spiritual maturity is about us blessing others. If you are after that, you're missing the boat because Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve, and he gave us the mantle of servanthood. And so to me, the essence of being spiritually mature is not so that you can see how great I am. It's for me to be filled so I can serve you so you can see how great Jesus is. This is spiritual maturity. And so the question comes up, how do we fail at this as the church? How have I failed as, as an individual? 
And I wrote down three words, and they're all start with the letter D because that's just what us pastors do. So write down these three words. How do we fail at it? Number one, discouragement. I watch people abandon their spiritual maturity because of discouragement. Pastor, can you believe it? I posted a scripture on Facebook and somebody put an angry emoji on it. What is happening to our world? <laughs> it's discouragement. I've watched people, Pastor, I started reading my Bobby. My, my, my Bobby? My Bob, who's Bobby? God bless Bobby if you're here. I started reading my Bible at school. I started reading my Bible at work and people started making fun of me. I got discouraged. I got excited about something and my spouse didn't get as excited as, as I got. God's got to put a calling on my life and, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. And it seems like nobody's jumping on board and trying to make that happen for me. I've watched discourage begin to stifle spiritual maturity. I wrote down the word distracted. Where I'm not a bad person, I'm just a busy person. And I'm so busy that I've made no time for growth in my life for me to get alone with the Lord. I've made no time for scripture. I've made no, no time for prayer and just to spend time in the presence of the Lord. I'm so busy. I would like God to speak, but I've made no, no room, no time to even still myself to listen to see if he's been speaking. Or what about being disobedient? Because I'm here to say that God will never allow maturity in your life if you are mixing disobedience in it. Maturity will always be stifled by, by disobedience. And it's letting God challenge our hearts. And so the two things I want you to do today, the two things I want you to dive into is that number one is catch a vision for what God can do in your life. Is begin to ask the Lord, what would you do in my life? What do we say maturity was? It was living for a designated purpose. It's Lord, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me? Why have you placed me in the situation that I'm in? Why am I in the workplace? Why am I in the school? Why am I in the family that I am? What is the purpose that God has called you to? And secondly, to step into a process of maturity. If you have a keyboardist or guitarist, rock, paper, scissors it, come up and join me. Secondly, we need a process and I was working through a process, and I came across something that I think is just so beautiful. In the 16th century, there was a man by the name of St. John of the Cross. He's a Spanish priest. And he came up with a process of maturity. And so I've decided I'm not going to rework the wheel. I want to give you the St. John of the Cross process of maturity. I want you to take notes because here's my challenge for you for the week. Number one, study the life of Christ. It's hard to be like the one you're supposed to model if you never study the one who is the model. Study the life of Christ. If you've never read the Bible, let me give you some hints here. Start either in the book of Mark or the book of John. If you start in Matthew, you're going to get discouraged really quick. Why? For those of us that are raised in the church, it is Name after name after name after name for like a chapter and a half. And you're going to be like, I don't know who all of these people are. Start off in Mark. I, I like Mark personally because Mark acts like he's always in a rush. He's in a hurry. How do you know? Read the book of Mark and, and circle every time you see the word immediately. <laughs> Promise you, you're going to run out of ink. Because Mark doesn't get tied up with details. He's like, oh, this could happen, but uh, immediately Jesus got up. But it's the urgency in Mark as he's telling Peter's tale. And study the life of Christ because I don't know how you can study the life of Christ and not find yourself dropping to your knees 
and just saying, Jesus, that's quite the standard to live up to, but, but I can use your help. And I'm going to need your help with this. And that leads me toward the second one, which is pursue Christ's motives. Because when you study the life of Christ, not only do you see the miracles that he does, not only do you see the life that he lives, but you begin to see his motives, that when he deals with the religious elite. Some of us, I've had people say, Pastor, I wish you were harder on sinners. I'm like, I feel like I am because that's everybody. But usually when people say that to me, they want me to be harder on specific people. Who is Jesus hardest on? The religious. He was hardest on the people that thought they were the upper echelon of mature. And look at his responses. Look at his responses to a woman thrown at his feet that they said by Levitical right could be stoned, killed for what she committed. Still look at where the dude was that she was sleeping with. They, they, somehow he got off scot-free. I have in my mind that he followed with the crowds. So he can just blend in and, and, and that way nobody would ever catch him. But Jesus got down on the dirt with her, responded, challenged her. You know what? I know what you've done. It's time to go and sin no more. What about the, what about the children? Man, I wish we could have talked foster care today. Children who were honestly nobodies in that culture. They weren't counted when they had crowds. They were inconvenienced at times. But Jesus, when the kids came running toward him, the disciples tried pushing him away. And his demeanor, his motive was, just, was to push the disciples out of the way and say, let the kids come because theirs is the kingdom of God. For lepers who had to be 50 paces away from any healthy human being, the lepers called out, could you send us a miracle? And Jesus didn't just drop a miracle over to them, didn't crumble one up and throw them 50 paces away so they could catch the miracle. Jesus moved toward those that were healthy, those that weren't supposed to be touched. He moved toward them and made them whole. Look at the motives of Jesus because some of us need to look at our motives at the people that we've kept 50 paces beyond us. The people that we've pushed away, the people that we've ignored that need Jesus the most. Look at his motives. Number three, welcome resistance. Did you know that when you follow Jesus, you're going to get resistance? Thank you. Pastor, that's not the preaching I want. you got to tell me that when we trust in Jesus, that nothing bad ever happens ever again. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't Candyland. Wait, wait a minute, let's be real. we got the molasses swamp in Candyland. So not even Candyland does everything go well. Unless you got kids and then they cheat, and uh, we're not going to get into that. My kids' childhood. But you have to welcome resistance. Because understand, when you're going to live for Jesus, and you're going to challenge your life to grow in maturity and to pursue what he's called you to do, you're going to face resistance. You're going to face the devil that hates your guts. You're going to face the devil that wants to destroy you. But I want you to be of good cheer that there is a devil that is going around like a roaring lion. And there's one key word there. The key word is, what's the word? Like. He's not a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion. My, my son and I, we watched the most amazingly dumb movie last night called Beasts about a lion chasing a family. It is horrible. It's a great waste of time if you've got an hour and a half you need to kill. You know what? The devil is a toothless beast. 
that wants to roar and wants to threaten you. And I'm here to say that if you are getting the threats of the enemy, you're getting the resistance of the devil, I want you to be of good cheer because the one that is with you is greater than that which is against you. Be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. There's resistance. Number four, reject being the center. Ooh. Pastor Dave, that's anti-American right there. We are the center of the world, aren't we? We are the center of everything. We have to reject that you and I are the center. And we've got to make Jesus the center. You want to grow in maturity? You want to grow in spiritual maturity? You have to realize that the world does not revolve around you. It revolves around the one. Yes, that revol- we, we go around the sun, but everything was made by him and for him, and everything is sustained through him, Scripture says. Reject being the center. And number five, embrace mystery. What does this mean? Is there some things that are going to happen in your life that you're not going to understand? Maturity is not being able to understand everything. I'm just here to tell you, you're not going to understand everything. My dad, my dad's go-to scripture whenever he doesn't want to answer me. And it's been this way for almost 47 years of my life. His go-to scripture is Deuteronomy 29, 29. What does that say? The secret things belong to the Lord. Dad, are there aliens? Deuteronomy 29, 29. Why did the three stooges change from curly to shemp? Deuteronomy 29, 29. Dad, what about all the people from Adam to Noah and how many kids? Deuteronomy 29, 29. Dad, why did, why did my younger brother pass away? Deuteronomy 29, 29. And there are times that we laugh at the cop-out my dad would give, and he still does it to this day. Deuteronomy 29, 29. But there are some things in life that we have to stick into a Deuteronomy 29, 29 file. Because I don't get why some things happen. I don't get why some moments take place. And so i got to file it in there. And believe me, that file I'm going to open up someday when I stand in heaven. And I'm going to thumb through and ask some questions. And we, a spiritual maturity... It's not ignoring reality, but it's recognizing there are some things that we will never have all the answers for, but we have to entrust our faith into the one that knows it all and that has his plans and has his purposes and his ways are not our ways. Thank you, Jesus. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Thank you, Jesus. Have you ever prayed and wanted something so bad and God told you no and years later God did something different that was way better than what you ever thought it would ever be? Has anybody else ever been there besides me? Thank you, Jesus, for being who you are. It's okay to embrace mystery. That's part of the tension where you don't have it all figured out but you simply do have to trust in Jesus. And this this way of maturity is so hard. How do I know that? Because Paul starts off the whole section that we read today with a word that we don't like. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I'm going through tension and pain in my own maturity for your sake. And then he brings it up again. And this is what I love. Verse 29, this is so, so huge. For this, I toil. I want everyone to be mature, but in this maturity, I'm toiling still. I'm struggling with all of, I want you to see this. This is huge. Can can we put up uh, verse 29? For this I struggle with all of what? Whose energy? Whose energy? 
when you're going through maturity and you're pushing forward, whatever stage, if you're studying Jesus' life, his motives, resistance, you're dealing with uh, rejecting you being the center, embracing mystery, wherever you are at in your maturity, you don't have to do it on your own. That we've got the power of the living God that powerfully works inside of me. Some of you need to write that down inside your Bible. The power of God is for me. It's working in me. God wants to grow me. God wants to transform me. God wants to do something new in me. He wants to work miracles through me. And I don't have to be the center of it all because when Jesus does miracles, it's, it's done in such a way that people look back and they're like, there's no way Dave Berenger could have done that. Something, something more was there. There's no way transformation could have taken place. There's no way that addiction would have stopped. There's no way that lifestyle could have changed. How did they do it? It's his energy, his presence, his presence working in me. God releases supernatural energy when you contend for spiritual maturity. When you want to grow, God's power meets you there. You don't have to do it alone. Have you ever had to mature on your own? We got, we got one over here, head of mature on their own. Listen, as a youth pastor, one thing that has broken my heart for years as a youth pastor is watching the amount of my students that had to grow up on their own because of parents that were lost in addiction, neglected. But the most beautiful thing is, is you don't ever have to be on your own. You've got a Heavenly Father. You've got a Savior. You've got, the, you've got his Holy Spirit that he's here working in us, growing us, challenging us. And when we're in those Deuteronomy 29, 29 moments, why, why, why? He's there with us in the why. I'm thankful for a God who's with us in the why. With us in the questions. There are times that I don't know what's in front of me that I do have to just take his hand and I just do have to walk forward. He's in the wise. And so my challenge to you today is where are you at in your own maturity, in your own growth, 